Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Well, there's another recall happening. Supporters of the drive to recall three San Francisco school board members have officially collected enough signatures to put the question on the ballot in February 2022. It's been a brutally contentious couple years in the district as it reopened much later than similar urban systems. Enrollment continued to fall and several controversies about race, history and education rock the school board. We'll be talking about the funding and politics of the recall and the future of the district. That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. For the San Francisco school system, it's been one thing after another. Parents all across the country were angry during the pandemic. I mean, their children were sitting at home using clunky so-called online learning software. But in San Francisco, the district moved more cautiously than just about any other major city, a testament to our region's overall approach and a powerful teachers union that went all out to protect its teachers from increased risk. As the months went by, Student enrollment dropped, sapping the system of tens of millions of dollars, which exacerbated a budget situation that's reached crisis proportions. Amidst all that, the culture wars manifested themselves in the proposed renaming of dozens of schools and ending merit-based admissions at Lowell High School. And so the recall gathered steam, drawing on different discontents, but focused on three school board members, Gabriela Lopez, Allison Collins, and Fouga uh, Moliga, Uga Moliga. What's not clear is if this is a classic San Francisco political battle between the city's left wing and its center left, or something more complicated. The recall is now set for a vote in February, and here to discuss the emerging story, we're joined by Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer with KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, and Vanessa Roncano, education reporter with KQED News. Welcome to the show. Good morning. So, Guy, let's start with you. How did we get to this point? With a lot of signatures. I mean, this was a uh, recall effort that started in early uh, 2021 um, and kind of gained steam, as you mentioned, as the district went through kind of controversy after controversy. I would say the uh, most prominent of which was this debate over how and when to return to in-person learning uh, in San Francisco. It's now got the uh, requisite signatures for those three school board members who we should say are the ones facing recall because other members are not eligible yet. 
These three members were elected uh, in 2018, and therefore they're eligible to be recalled. Um, And this will go before voters on on February 15th. Wow. So we have a lot of recalls. (laughs) We have Chesa Boudin, the district attorney, of course, Governor Newsom. And all across the country, it seems like there's been a trend towards these recalls. How do you see this election sort of fitting into that? Well, you're absolutely right. I think uh, 2021 politically, whether you're talking about California or nationwide, it has been uh, a year of recall efforts. Um, I should say getting to the ballot is still proved difficult for the most part. Um, you know, the, the signature requirements in San Francisco are based on the number of registered voters. So compare that to how the, the Governor Newsom recall qualified, which was just about how many voters showed up the last time at the polls. We haven't had a recall election qualify in San Francisco since the 1980s. So it's definitely there is definitely both momentum and voters. You can see voters turning to these kind of recall efforts to voice their displeasure at elected officials. I don't think this particular recall is very aligned with what we're seeing throughout the nation when it comes to school board recalls, which largely have been kind of over both pushback to, you know, COVID requirements, whether that's masking um, or, you know, what some people call the teaching of, of quote unquote, critical race theory, I think, which we can really say is the teaching of history uh, that's gotten pushback from a lot of school boards. throughout the country. This is something different. These issues, uh, for a large part, are very localized to San Francisco. This debate over the slow pace of reopening, um, you know, the the tweets from board member Allison Collins, uh, debates over admissions policy at Lowell. Um, I think these are a lot of uh, localized issues, but I do think in the debate over whether or not these three board members are going to be able to keep their jobs will for a large part be, are they able to sell the fact that this is uh, a part of an, a larger national effort, what they've deemed a conservative effort? Or, you know, will the supporters of this recall be able to say, look, we're not part of any larger national trend. This is really about the actions of board members here in San Francisco. I think that will go a large uh, way in how this election turns out. Yeah. Vanessa Roncano, um how does this situation compare to what's, you know, happened in Oakland or San Jose or other Bay Area districts, like how how different has uh, San Francisco's response been? Well, in those large urban districts, we also saw a delay in reopening. What we didn't see, and I will say a lot of the pushback from teachers unions that we saw in San Francisco and um, I think just difficulty on the part of school leaders weighing the sort of competing interests of different parents, right? Mm -hmm. I talked to a lot of school leaders who were trying to grapple with some parents screaming at them that, you know, their children were in emotional crisis and needed to be back in school immediately. And other parents saying, don't you dare, COVID rates in my community are so high. Mm -hmm. I have an intergenerational living situation. This is absolutely unsafe. And if you go back Right now, without much of a plan for distance learning, my child who's going to stay in distance learning is going to suffer, right? All the resources are going to go to one person. So in that way, I think they were dealing with something similar. And like these big districts, it took a long, long time, longer than a lot of parents wanted. But we did not see the kind of controversies in these other districts um, that Guy was referring to, right? The renaming of schools, Lola admissions, um, the Washington High mural, Allison Collins and the tweets. These were controversies that got a lot of publicity, publicity yeah. nationally. 
and we'll get we'll get into that uh, as time goes on with the show. I think you know, guy. I want to uh, come back to this idea of sort of who's behind the recall effort. Um, I know that you've been doing some reporting on sort of where the donations have come from to support the recall effort. Right. So Vanessa and I have really been looking at, uh, you know, the campaign that got this on the ballot. How are they funded? And I think uh, to a large degree, the donations to this uh, recall effort came from within San Francisco. The filings that we reviewed found that at least uh, three quarters of the donations to the campaign were, you know, from the city. There's, you know, smaller donations under $100. You don't necessarily have to say where it's coming from. So it actually could be greater than than 75%. And that's larger than if you look back at, say, the election last year for school board, um, the, the 75% is a larger ratio of donations from the city than even going back to last year's school board election, ballot measures in the city last year. And I think what that shows, and caveat, it's still early, we could still see national funding come into this campaign. But I do think that pushes back a little bit on kind of the narrative we've heard from from some of the school board members and their allies saying that, you know, this is part of a national effort. When really so far what we've seen is the vast majority of these donations are coming from residents in the city. Some other uh, trends we found was a a high proportion in the very top donors among venture capitalists. We've seen uh, VC leaders get involved in this recall to a high degree, make the biggest donations to both, you know, support uh, signature gathering and advertisements and going a long way to getting this on the ballot. Um, so, you know, that's almost, it was like, right, like six or seven of the top 10 donors. Were yeah. Yeah. Six of the top 10. Uh, David Sachs is, is uh, and Arthur Rock have been the, the highest uh, donor so far. David Sachs, also the top donor to the uh, potential recall of Chase Boudin, the San Francisco's district attorney. Um, and, you know, so and another trend we found was that it's largely individuals so far. Right. We haven't seen kind of national education organizations uh, get involved in supporting this recall so far. It's uh, individuals largely from San Francisco backing this. That could change. We could, you know, we, this is likely to get continued national attention because a school board recall of, of this magnitude is so rare. Um, but so far, the, the donations that uh, helped get this on the ballot are of that nature. Guy, a listener has a political question here. As a FSF-USD parent, I've seen little reporting on the early coordination the San Francisco recall group had with other states. I'd like to know who they were coordinating with and why. Have you revealed anything about that in your reporting or seen anything? No, you know, we really didn't find uh, a high proportion of donors coming from outside of California. Um, again, I was able to talk to yeah, a Vanessa couple of actually them, did talk to so some individuals. I, I can offer just a teeny bit of context. Yeah, that'd be great, Vanessa. <laughs> One guy who I emailed with, he contributed $500 from Connecticut, and he has grandkids in the district, and his son and daughter-in-law were very involved in the recall effort because of a lot of anger, um, I think especially around um, reopening and these controversies. But I spoke to another guy in New Hampshire who really has no connection to San Francisco. He read about this in the Wall Street Journal, and it's really purely ideological for him. He's like, let's stick it to San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He sent $500, um, I think, because he once ran... I should say he he was chair of the board of a charter school in Los Angeles and I think bumped heads a lot with the LAUSD school board. So we had a lot of, had a lot of frustration and complaints about school boards. And he feels like 
in his experience, they don't always make decisions that best serve the most vulnerable students in the district, so he said. And so he sort of saw this as a way to hold a board accountable for, again, decisions that, in his view, were bad for the district's Mm. most vulnerable students. You know, Vanessa, how much is this a proxy battle between charter school advocates and other folks? I mean, Arthur Rock is a quite noted charter school advocate and largest donor to the campaign. Yeah, indeed. He has a long track record of um, of funding ed reform causes. I think we I think we shall see. Right. I think possibly for national unions, which some political consultants have, have told me they expect to step in here um, on the side of the opposition, of course. But I've spoken to a lot of small local donors who, you know, say this is really personal for them for a number of different reasons. For some people, it's the Lowell admissions and their Lowell alumni. Other people pulled their kids out of public schools, right, and put them into private schools because they were so frustrated. Their kids were really suffering and they had the means to put them in a private school. But that's a lot of money out of their pocket, you know, so it's a pocketbook issue for some people. You know, a listener uh, tweets, and I'm sure we're going to get a lot more of these. It's wrong to undermine our fairly elected school board in the midst of multiple crises beyond their control. SFUSD was already stretched beyond its limits, providing social services on top of educating kids and has a long history of financial struggles. COVID exacerbated everything. As an SFUSD parent, I'm very disappointed that so many in SF have been swept up in this wasteful recall. The Board of Education was fairly elected on a progressive platform and people who disagree We'll have a chance to vote them out in the next regular election. We're talking about efforts to recall three San Francisco School Board of Education Commissioners with Guy Marzarati and Vanessa Roncano, KQED News reporters who've been covering this. For parents of kids enrolled in SFUSD, what questions or concerns do you have about the recall and Board of Education? We also know that the battle lines have been drawn on this one, and we're still really looking to hear from people who are sort of undecided about how they'll vote on the recall. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the effort to recall three San Francisco Board of Education commissioners with Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer with KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, and Vanessa Roncano, education reporter with KQED News. And we would love to hear from you. How do you think the turmoil at the Board of Education has impacted your child's school? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. So I want to get into some of the specific controversies that have really kind of gone into the political situation here. Um, Maybe let's start with uh, Lowell, which was sort of Lowell, a extremely high-performing school in the city, about 80% people of color, but with black and Latin students uh, underrepresented in the school. Um, Vanessa, can you tell us, just sort of give us the arc of what happened around the Lowell decision to sort of end competitive admissions for that school? Well, in really basic terms, the Black Student Union and Black students for years had been complaining about incidents, racist incidents at the school. Black students made up a very, very small proportion of enrolled students, as did Latino students. And this board finally took that issue up um, initially they took it up during the pandemic and there was a lot of frustration about a lot of outcry about whether there was enough participation in this debate because of the way it happened. Um, I think there were accusations that public comment was cut off that because this was happening during the pandemic, um, people just didn't have enough of an opportunity to weigh in on mm-hmm. the decision. But ultimately, they did go forward with this and they moved away. This is an academically elite school. It's one of the best high schools in the country. Mm-hmm. And they moved away from an admissions system based on academic achievement and towards a lottery system. And there's been a massive amount of outcry in the wake. They've been suits. There have been lawsuits to try to stop it. Um, and Not Vanessa, this is this is part of a national trend, though. I mean, these kinds of schools have drawn fire in many different places, like, say, Stuyvesant in, in New York. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, I think they always generate. There's always a backlash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Guy, let's talk about one other major controversy, which is the Allison Collins tweets. Maybe you could just for, for people who didn't follow this closely, give us just a, a little background on that. Right. So these were tweets that uh, Collins wrote, I think, in 2016, so before she had right. been elected to the board. Um, but these tweets were surfaced, I believe, by the campaign pushing the recall. And it was basically Collins had made derogatory statements uh, about Asians in the context of, you know, defending or discussing racism uh, against black students in schools. Um, and, yeah, they, they got a lot of pushback. She was stripped of her vice president uh, title and her committee assignments on the school board. And I think in a lot of ways, her reaction to, you know, the criticism invited even more criticism, right? She filed a lawsuit against the district uh, seeking to have a reinstatement of her positions, demanding $87 million. Ultimately, I think the district had to spend over $100,000 just to kind of fight off 
those claims. The suit was ultimately dismissed. Um, and so I think that even got more pushback. And I, I w- will really be interested to see in the context of this recall if the other two commissioners perhaps abandon ship uh, with Commissioner Collins, because we, we saw um, Board President Lopez stick with her in, in the vote to, to strip her of, of her committee assignments. Um, Commissioner Malinga did not. Um, and in fact, we've seen, you know, Board Member Malinga start his own school board mm. uh, recall political uh, committee this week. I think that might be some evidence that, you know, are these three going to stick together? Are they, they going to campaign Malinga together? Malinga may go off on his own. Right. Yeah. When certainly, you know, you look at the the behavior of, of Collins as being, you know, separate and apart in a lot of ways from the other two. Yeah. So I asked Gabriela Lopez about this yesterday, and she said that she thought the board should be judged as a whole, because she views the recall as a rejection of the board mm-hmm. in its entirety. And the organizers, you know, the founders of the recall had have said that they would recall all seven members if they were all eligible. Mm-hmm. So Lopez was stressing the importance of sort of staying unified. She hasn't launched her own campaign, and it doesn't sound like she has immediate plans to do that. But um, other other groups organizing have reached out to her, and she's working with them. That's, thank you for that, Vanessa. Uh, Brandy from San Francisco, listener, welcome to the conversation. Thank you. I'm a public school parent. Um, I just want to push back on a narrative that I'm hearing. Um, I know there's the, uh, I've lived in San Francisco for almost 20 years and I've lived other places. I've lived all around the country. What our city is notorious for is exceptionalism, thinking that we don't have the same problems here that exist in other parts of the U.S. We talked, you talked about CRT as a way that people are whipping up right-wing energy against board members um, who are getting all over the U.S., who are getting death threats, like our board members as well. Um, When you talk about the Washington mural, when you talk about equitable admissions to Lowell High School, when black students um, did a walkout five years ago, have been telling us it has been a toxic environment for them for years and years. These demands, um, and also renaming, these are demands that are coming um, from a lot of our Black and Indigenous families. And so when you say that this is not CRT, that's not what it's about, it is. There is a lot of anti-Black racism driving this recall. And when you say that this is not connected, that gaslights a lot of the Black families in our district. I don't speak for all of them, but I have heard them saying this time and time again, when people say there's that San Francisco is different than the U.S., it is gaslighting. Yeah. Thank you. Brandy, thanks for that. I appreciate this. this. is a very intense topic as well. Guy, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about sort of the – clarify that you were talking about the sort of political nature of the, the fundraising, that it was largely a San Francisco effort? Yeah, no, and I, and I think Brandy makes a good point that I think we'll – potentially be fleshed out in the course of this campaign, right? I think it, you know, I guess we'll never know for sure if this recall would have made it on the basis of the controversies on on Lowell and renaming alone. I think you have to take into consideration the reopening as a huge piece of this. Um, And I I think she also makes a great point in the fact of these board members said from the beginning they were going to advocate for listening to students. And it was students at Lowell, black students who, you know, really pushed forward this change, you know, got the board's attention. And the board did follow through on listening to those concerns. So I think that's in in terms of something that they promised uh, and then delivered. Delivered on. Um, But yeah, I would say, you know, I'm not sure if the 
you know, just those controversies alone would have led to this recall. I think reopening was, you know, a big piece of this. And also the process in, in which these, you know, debates over uh, reopening and renaming played out. I think there was a lot of pushback from people who might have said, I agree with the reevaluation of how we're naming our schools, but maybe not necessarily the exclusion of historical facts or historical analysis in that process. Yeah. Vanessa, I do think you want- I just, can I add one thing? Yeah, 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 for sure. That- But I think there's also this increased sort of engagement from a lot of parents with their local school systems. Parents were forced to be so intimately involved with their kids' educations this past year and a half or so that a lot of them started paying more attention. And school board meetings also were more accessible than they'd ever Mm. been, right? Everybody could join. Zoom era school board meeting. Exactly, exactly. So, So I think it's it's just all these factors coming together, right? This increased scrutiny, the incredible frustration over schools not reopening and these controversies. Let's bring in Don from San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Don. Yeah, hi, thank you so much. Um, I cannot disagree more with one of your callers. This is not right wing. I mean, how many Democrats do we have in San Francisco? I mean, I'm sorry, how many Republicans do we have? in San Francisco, to get 82,000 signatures on three different school board members is so difficult to do. And the fact that that happened is just amazing. And it shows it is the San Francisco parents that are unhappy. Many of the alumni, I'm born and raised here, all public school, all working class schools, graduated Balboa. And it's just ridiculous that they say this is a right-wing conspiracy. There's going to be a lot more propaganda coming out, and you're going to hear, I don't know one person that manned a booth, other than the paid, the paid people, I think it's 40% volunteer, maybe 60% paid, I can't promise that. Everyone I know that was volunteering is a Democrat. Yeah. I think I met one uh, independent. So... There's hey, so Don, can issues. I ask you, what, what's really the issue with the school board that really drove you to want to recall them? Well, I started when they wanted to mandate the name change of 44 schools in a top-down fashion. School board, uh, school name changes have always occurred, and it starts with a uh, school community like Fairmont became a Spanish immersion and they changed it to Dolores Huerta. But that was the school, the school community. It's not supposed to be a mandate or dictate from the top Board of Education down. Uh, no cost analysis. Um, I know people must pay rent and they must have a mortgage, but the board gave no cost analysis, 44 school. Sacramento did change a high school. And the B came out and said it's about 100000 to 150000 per school name. Uh, high school, and there was no cost analysis. We we're seventy thousand in debt. I mean, they they made no attempt to organize volunteers to help on Zoom during the pandemic. They made these changes during a pandemic. Parents could not really adequate. I mean, having listened to their meetings, three p.m. until ten p.m. at night. What parent working, uh, struggling is able to attend? I know some can, most cannot. It just goes on and on, changing Lowell the way they did. I did not go to Lowell. I have no relationship with Lowell. But I would think if you're going to make a change, 
maybe you would consider getting the top academic students at each different school and try that. But to go to pure lottery, it's, it's who is it hurting? Lowell has, I read, um, is it about a third of the kids or more that get subsidized lunch or de- um, decreased uh, cost in their lunch? It's not all rich kids. The wealthy, they can send their kids to private school, and they are. The more affluent middle class are taking out. I've been volunteering at my neighborhood. Hey, Don, I think I'm gonna, yeah. I think I'm gonna leave it there. Just gonna want to get some uh, time for other uh, callers. Uh, why don't we just go uh, straight to Rupa in uh, San Francisco? Rupa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I just. Uh, I just wanted to discuss and highlight and ask um, what, how is it that uh, the San Francisco Board of Education has become such a political or it feels like it's become such a political entity mm-hmm. and it's just for, you know, it's become, uh, you know, it's become an, a pathway for people interested in local politics, a, a pathway to the Board of Supervisors or for other uh, political roles, yeah. and it feels like it's not really. Um, it doesn't matter if you don't have edu- uh, kids in the district, or it doesn't matter if you don't have background in education. Um, it 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 feels it's like it's just a pathway to a, a yeah. additional political um, positions. So. Let me uh, get Guy Maserati, politics reporter for KQD. Um, can we, like, have people been able to use this as a springboard and that's one reason why it has become so embroiled in politics? Well, yeah, I think Roop is exactly right. Like, this this has been a springboard uh, for politicians in San Francisco. I mean, you look at the, the current board of supervisors, Matt Haney, Shimon Walton, go further back, Sandra Lee Fewer, Jane Kim, even Tom Anmiano, these folks all came uh, from the school board. That was kind of the, the jump off point for their political career. And I think it's kind of the same statewide. If you go to the legislature, there's a lot of uh, assembly members, senators who got their political start in the school board. I think it's a, a really kind of an entry point to politics. It's at the very bottom of your ballot. Uh, when you're voting, it's kind of a first stop for a lot of politicians. And I think to a point you know, that Vanessa made earlier, it's traditionally before all of this, not a place where you see a lot of heated you know, political engagement in elections. You can go back to 2018 uh, when these three commissioners were elected. Look at the undervote. Like basically the people who turned in a ballot but didn't actually vote on all three uh, school board members, it was 282,000 votes. I mean, compare that to a governor or a congress member. It'll be maybe 10 or 15,000 that don't fill out that race. This is usually a, a part of the ballot that a lot of people skip over. Um, and it certainly, you know, hasn't had this kind of level in, of engagement in years past. Yeah. Guy, especially in San Francisco, where, I mean, San Francisco is like the most childless large city in the country, right? I think it's only 13% of San Franciscans who have kids under 18. Yeah. I, I want to bring in another listener, uh, Leilani from San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Leilani. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I am just I am just literally feeling gaslighted here this morning listening to you all. I mean, it's just really shameful behavior. Um, you're complaining about people who move from the BOE to BOS and they're people of color. You told us to get engaged in politics, to speak our minds, tell you what we need for our communities. And then when we do it, 
it's a problem. It's a problem. You're expecting like 400 years of work to be finished by 2021. It's crazy for somebody to say that renaming started during the pandemic is a lie. Parents and children have been working on it for years. Desegregation of low has been something since I was in high school. That's almost 23 years ago. How could you guys be this educationally ignorant about what's happening in San Francisco? Dear friends, um, Molinga, he is helping the Samoan community. But they haven't had a representation on the Board of Education ever. And you have the nerve to talk for their community? I mean, it's really gaslighting. It's really, I mean, how many of these parents walked in the Black Lives Matter movement saying we're going to uplift brown and black families, we're going to support them? Let me say this. Many of those families took advantage of the pods during the pandemic. If your child did not get a part of that pod, maybe you had more economical resources than other people did. When this recall, let me tell you, when I've gone across San Francisco seeing the boots, it's really rooted in anti-blackness. They constantly state, well, low, my kids can't get into low. And low is an economical ladder. And now we're going to have all these other kids who might not qualify. How do you know they haven't qualified? You have not seen their report cards, their hard work, their parents helping them. It is absolutely ridiculous. And it's shameful. And I'm surprised no one is calling it out. Hey, Leilani, I'm going to cut in here. I mean, I just want to say that really appreciate the perspectives that are being brought to this. I mean, we're trying to air out these issues. This is going on the ballot in February. And I think it's important to recognize there are a lot of people feeling a lot of very intense feelings about this issue on different sides of it. And that's what we're trying to bring to the airwaves. And I, I appreciate your your time in, in calling in. We are here talking about efforts to recall three San Francisco Board of Education commissioners with Guy Marzorati, reporter and producer with KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, Vanessa Roncano, education reporter with KQED News. And as you're hearing, we want to hear from you, parents of kids enrolled in San Francisco Unified. What questions or concerns do you have about the recall, about the Board of Education? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. You can read some comments when we come back. You can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the efforts to recall three San Francisco Board of Education commissioners with Guy Marzarati on KQED's Politics and Government Desk and Vanessa Roncano, education reporter with KQED News, as well as with all of you uh, here in the listening audience. I have a bunch of comments. Uh, I'm going to kind of read a few of these at a time so you can see kind of what's what's coming in. Bill from San Francisco writes, This is what happens when elected officials lose touch with voters, renaming schools, changing Lowell to effectively limit Asian enrollment and not listening to anyone outside their circle has consequences. I'm sorry for the people who are on the firing line, but they signed up for politics and should have known the risk. Andrew in Daly City writes, all of the parents and teachers I know in San Francisco are frustrated that the school board isn't putting the needs of their children and parents first. Teachers are leaving tenured positions because of working conditions. Instead, the school board is focusing on lawsuits and murals. Rebecca tweets, I certainly hope you're going to speak about Allison Collins' vindictive, harmful behavior in the wake of being called out as racist by Asian Americans by suing her own colleagues with legal zero legal basis and wasting countless district dollars. Uh, she absolutely deserves to be recalled. We, we have, in fact, uh, talked about that. Nancy writes, uh, my ch- grandchildren attend public school in San Francisco, and I volunteered and contributed to the recall because I don't want my children to have to move out of the city to find a good school for their children. They can't afford private school. After watching school board meetings on Zoom, I was ready to do whatever it takes to get a more reasonable group of people in charge of the San Francisco schools. And finally, Bill in Sebastopol writes, I will never vote for a recall. When I ask people why they voted to recall Newsom, they mention his visit to the French Laundry, sans mask. Well, that's a lapse in judgment on his part, but it isn't something that demands he be recalled. It isn't healthy for democracy. In fact, it's a first step toward destroying our democracy. So lots coming in. Uh, Vanessa, I want to talk a little bit about what happens between now and February. Um, how much like how much of a campaign is this really going to be? I think this is probably a better question for Guy, but I did talk to a political consultant who said he was really expecting fundraising to pick up now, right now that we know this is on the ballot. And as I said earlier, you know, I think he's expecting unions, both local and probably national, um, to step in to fund the opposition. Guy, what else would you add? Yeah, no, I think that's that's right on point. I think it's likely that the United Educators of San Francisco, who are the local teachers union, would be who we'd expect uh, to fund potentially the campaigns uh, to defeat the recall of, of these three board members. Um, but again, it, it'll I'll be interested to see, A, how much these board members differentiate amongst themselves in the course of this campaign. Um, in, the, in the case of board member Malinga, I talked to uh, Pacific Islander activist Gaynoran Siatanga, and she was really adamant that he should be judged separately, like, you know, take his case separately from the other two board members. She pointed out the fact that he had made history as the per- first Pacific Islander representative in the city's history. He's, you know, focused on issues among Samoan students uh, and addressing academic disparities there. I think it, I'm not sure how the other two potentially will will campaign in that regard. And then the second piece, Alexis, that I, I really think will be interesting to watch is 
defining the alternative, right? This was a huge part of the Newsom recall campaign is turning it from a referendum on the elected official who's facing the recall into a choice, like it's either me or what. Um, And in the case of Newsom, he was really able to define that alternative as Larry Elder accurately. Um, And I think that really solidified the choice for a lot of voters. I think in this case, we'll see what the board members define as that alternative. So far, the messaging we've heard uh, from the United Educators of San Francisco, the teachers union, is this idea of a mayoral takeover, right? If these board members, any of them are recalled, it'll be Mayor London Breed who ultimately appoints their successor. And I think that could be a potent political message is not wanting the mayor to have an outsized role in deciding the direction of education in the city. We've seen, you know, throughout California's history, this push and pull and and often voters not really wanting mayors to have a big role in the Board of Education, Uh, whether you're talking mayors from Antonio Villaraigosa to Jerry Brown, really struggled in their ability to have uh, influence on on the school board. So that potentially could be the message we see against this recall is stop uh, Mayor London Breed from having an outside outsized influence uh, in the city's education policy. Yeah. Plus, Just it's a- massively expensive. I mean, that's another thing we're hearing from the opposition, right? It could cost Guy up to $8 million, are they saying now? So I hear a lot of pushback um, about that. Initially, it, it looked like it was the school board that was going to foot the bill. Right. And I think the city may end up covering a a great amount of that cost. And I should say also, this is going to be appearing on the ballot with uh, an assessor's uh, special election and likely a special election for state assembly. So elections were were, uh, on the docket uh, in San Francisco, regardless of whether this recall had qualified or not. Now they'll be consolidated. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, highlight something you said, Guy, there too, just to er- earlier caller Leilani's point, there has been a really large Pacific Islander community in San Francisco for decades, and Commissioner Malinga is, is really the first representation for that community. Um, really a, a, a major change. Um, I, you know, I think the school board elections, as we've noted a couple times, have, are not usually quite this heated I mean, there there have been times uh, where where it has happened in in certain districts in the country. I mean, uh, do we feel like this is just the pandemic pressure on the school board, on the city, on on parents that has really changed this into such a high stakes battle? Yeah, I would say you know there, these things come in waves. I I would I think you'd have to go back to busing and the debate over desegregation of schools through busing to find the last time that there was such anger, uh, you know, widespread anger um, at school board members. You know, I talked to, uh, you know, and uh, Joshua Spivak, who's written a book about recalls in the course of U.S. history. And he said often school board recalls are the result of kind of singular decisions uh, that were made by board members. And very rarely do you see anger, you know, sweep across the country all at one time. That's not the case here. We are seeing, you know, recalls uh, sprout up all across the country. You know, I think I would argue that a lot of the you know discussion on on critical race theory or anti-masking is a bit different uh, than what we're seeing in San Francisco. I understand the callers who are, who are you know uh, seeing it differently and and saying that you know there is a racial tie in here uh, when it comes to whether you're talking about Lowell admissions or renaming that has sparked a lot of this pushback against board members. That could be a tie into what we're seeing nationally. But you know, bottom line, we we haven't seen this kind of widespread anger uh, against school boards in a very long time before the pandemic. Yeah. You know, when I asked, when I talked to 
Gabriela Lopez yesterday, I asked her what she thinks the role of race is in this recall. And she said that she definitely doesn't think she'd be getting this kind of pushback if she wasn't a woman of color. And I mean, we saw death threats against her and Commissioner Collins during the Lowell admissions um, debate. And, you know, for Lopez, this has a lot to do with who the commissioners have chosen to prioritize, which communities they've chosen to center and to prioritize in their policymaking. Um, and I, I talked to this professor at Arizona State named Carrie Sampson. She studies local school governance and she's done mm -hmm. a lot of work looking at board members of color specifically. And there is definitely a trend in the research that she's done. She's found that there's absolutely a trend in board members of color getting a lot of pushback, mm -hmm. um, having a much harder time getting elected and facing a lot of backlash for prioritizing their communities. Yeah. And in fact, and, and during COVID, she watched what was happening in Arizona, where she is with a lot of board members of color organizing specifically around school reopening and sort of saying, hey, pump the brakes for a lot of our a lot of our community members. It's not, you know, don't feel ready to go back and that they got a lot of pushback um, for putting the brakes on reopening. Yeah. Uh, listener Kelly writes. I'm a public school parent of a black child. There's a national pattern of school board recalls, and while San Francisco's has a slightly different flavor, it's the same at the core. The school board is one of the most diverse boards in San Francisco ever, and the board members have governed with the needs of the communities they represent at heart, sort of to your, to your point, Vanessa. Um, Vanessa, I guess, you know, one of the deeper questions here is whether the, the deep issues of a, a big urban school district like San Francisco are also being addressed by this school board. I mean, one of the things that I read in preparing for this uh, kind of over and over is like that the the actions the board has taken haven't actually helped a lot of students of color, but they have uh, that it's been largely sort of window dressing without actually creating substantive educational gains for black and brown uh, children. What can we say about how the school board has actually delivered on this sort of core mission of kind of managing the budget and um, trying to improve schools? Well, I think some of that, to Guy's point earlier, depends on, on who you ask. So I've certainly talked to parents from parents who are very supportive, for instance, of the decision to cover the Washington High mural or are incredibly supportive of the Lowell admissions change, right? So there are people for whom those actions in and of themselves are, are vital, right? Or are, are central to feeling that they're being properly represented by their school board members. In terms of the budget, I mean, this is an issue years in the making, right? So they're now facing a $116 million yeah, deficit next it. year. But in early 2020, the superintendent was already warning that the budget had reached a breaking point. Like for years, costs had been outpacing funding and they'd been drawing on reserves to make up the difference. Mm -hmm. By 2020, he told them, you can't, we can't do this anymore and we got to start looking for cuts. So this year they used one-time COVID relief money to sort of patch up the budget. Um, but what just happened recently is that the state stepped in and appointed a consultant um, to help the district sort of sort this out. 
um, because the district had the district had failed to submit a plan according to the state. So this yeah. consultant is now supposed to help them figure out how to cut like 13 percent of the budget. Yeah. Um, I mean, having reported on this stuff and, and read about it across the country, I mean, w- one of the most fascinating things about this recall to me is that y- there are oftentimes the political issues are, revolve around closing schools cutting teachers, these kinds of issues that are really about like in the classroom educational things. I mean, look at Oakland and some of the uh, uh, the controversies around closing or merging schools. In this case, it's just not the issues that are coming up either in public statements by anyone. It's not coming up with callers. It's not coming up with listeners. Guy, like, what do you make of that? Is that these is it really that these other issues are just such hot buttons that they're kind of overwhelming um, a lot of the other things that a big urban district has to deal with? Yeah, I think that's right. I, th- I mean, I think because, look, a, a lot of the issues, as Vanessa started the hour with, that San Francisco is facing, other districts in the Bay Area have dealt with, are dealing with, and yet it hasn't risen to this level of attention. But I do think in terms of, you know, when we're talking about the budget conversation, there's a you know a lot of time between now and February when the election is, and I do think perhaps those budget discussions could take on a, a greater role as we get closer to the election. Uh, one voter perspective here. Marty writes, I'm undecided on Maliga. Uh, support the recall of Collins and Lopez, but reject all other recalls like Budin and Newsom, as I consider myself to be progressive and believe the most important thing for the progressive movement is to uplift competent leaders. This highlights the fact that there are gradations and nuances here in San Francisco. And, you know, I guess I wanted to take this question to you, Guy, around... You know, the, we kind of framed it in the intro. You know, there have been a lot of battles recently in San Francisco, like with the district attorney, but almost too many to count where it's kind of the left wing of San Francisco versus kind of the center left of San Francisco. That's the side of the spectrum that's kind of fighting. Do you see this as kind of more of the same or do you see it as kind of fundamentally different because of a lot of the other issues that are in play here? You know, I think the the dynamics of this have have made sure it doesn't break along those kind of neat lines that, that you lay out. I mean, I think in the case of, of Allison Collins, uh, kind of all of the elected officials of the city were, were united in calling for her resignation. I think you can see that, you know, I mentioned there's going to be a state assembly primary uh, likely on the ballot with the school board recall. The two leading Democrats uh, running for that seat, David Campos, Matt Haney, they both support the recall uh, of board member Collins opposed the recall of the other two commissioners opposed the recall uh, of Chase Boudin. So I would say, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily break along those lines. And I think it's largely because of the actions of, of Allison Collins that are different than how the other two board members have approached this. Mm-hmm. You know, Vanessa, I, I think the other thing that comes up a lot is people just talk about sort of in a block sense, sort of the competence of the school board. Um, and I think one of the things that's interesting is like how people are measuring that. Like when you when you talk to people about the recall, what are the things that they're using to say this is what a competent board would do, and this is what our this is what I think is happening with this school board? You know, I haven't heard a whole lot of comparisons. I will say I, I interviewed one longtime SFU now retired, but longtime SFU SD educator who said that he'd never seen a board that operated like this board. And he was talking about the way, the sort of tenor of public meetings, right? That their their sort of comportment just didn't sit right with him, right? And I think you have to ask, well, 
there's a lot of vocal women of color on this board. So right. what kind of, you know, what are, how much of this has to do with race? Yeah. Erin, uh, not sure exactly whether or not it's to your point or not, but one uh, listener, Aaron writes, I'm a public school parent of two children, including one special needs child, and reopening absolutely pushed me to get more involved. Once I got more involved, I was appalled by the gross mismanagement of the board, right down to meetings not running on time, poor prioritization of issues, and gross mismanagement of funds. The blatant dis- disrespect to others attending meetings is exactly uh, the environment I don't want to be propagating in my community. Uh, Minha writes, just because there are not a lot of donors from out of state doesn't mean that this school board recall isn't part of a national trend. It's happening to school boards all over the country. Being on a school board is a tough job that uh, we're actually going to have you clarify this. That is volunteer and people donate hours per week. It's extremely disturbing. They're being harassed in this way, in addition to personal threats to themselves and their families. Um, and several uh, listeners have wanted to clarify if these uh, commissioners are paid, and if so, how much. That's a good question, I, Vanessa. Do you know? I, I don't think, know the, the I salary. think it's about six thousand dollars. So uh, they were. I mean, these folks work full time. It's yeah. basically a volunteer position. And to the point, you know, especially on pandemic management, it was not easy for school board members. I mean, the state government put a lot of the onus of decisions about reopening. They kicked the can down to school boards uh, in a lot of cases. You know, they offered a lot of money, but ultimately left the decisions of, you know, how and when to open to these elected school boards. Um, And so I think in that case, they were left with, you know, a lot of really difficult decisions that certainly the state legislature didn't want to make for a long time. Yeah, and things that are outside their wheelhouse often, right? I mean, a lot of this had to do with with public health, and I think people were very, very reluctant to make um, decisions without that expertise. And county offices of public health were often pointing at the state, and the state was pointing at the local level, and everybody was just sort of pointing at each other um, to make a decision. Yeah, last uh, 20 seconds here. Guy, I just wanted to know, like, if you were handicapping this race, like, how, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, I've, I've, I'm, I've moved beyond handicapping, Alexis. Um, no, I, you know, I think, uh, I guess what I'm most interested in watching is how this will interact with the other race on the ballot uh, that I mentioned that, you know, assembly for, for uh, primary for state assembly, you know, how the candidates are going to define themselves in relation to the school board. Um, and I guess if there's a positive takeaway, it is just the involvement and the engagement that people have had with school board politics. As we mentioned throughout this hour, this is a, a part of uh, elected government in the city that has been ignored for for a long time and is going to get a lot of attention in these next few months. Thank you. We've been talking about efforts to recall three San Francisco Board of Education commissioners with Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer with KQED's California Politics and Government's Desk, and Vanessa Rancano, education reporter with KQED News. Thank you to all the parents and listeners who called in during the show. We really appreciate it. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead of Forum with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.